On March 10th and 11th, 2011, ACME hosted a symposium titled Fairy Tales Reimagined, From Werewolf to Forbidden Room. It was an opportunity to examine the darker side of fairy tales. Fairy tales are very much of the zeitgeist at this time, with films such as Tangled and Red Riding Hood having come out recently, so it's very timely to have a symposium on fairy tales. ACME is contributing to this zeitgeist with our Dreams Come True, the Art of Disney's Classic Fairy Tales exhibition that celebrates 50 years of the creativity and the amazing imagination of Walt Disney. Fairy tales are often derived from European folklore, and Disney, in his animations, imbued them as timeless stories with an amazing sense of wonder. These worlds are filled with shadows and mystery, magic and delight. They are worlds where evil is wicked, good is beautiful, and there is always the promise of happily ever after. This has become one of the dominant impressions of how people understand fairy tales today. But of course, the origins of these stories often come from a much darker place, and it's the dark side of these fairy tales that the symposium proposes to explore. The focus of this symposium is on exploring how traditional fairy tales reach into our modern lives and psyches in sometimes quite unexpected ways. ACME was very pleased to present this symposium in association with Sue Maslin from Film Art Media and Sarah Gibson from Inside Out Productions. When Sue and Sarah came to us with their online interactive documentary project, Reenchantment, launched on ABC in the same week as the symposium, we saw a great alignment with our exhibition, Dreams Come True. While our exhibition invites you to recall a childhood dream of happily ever after through showcasing the extraordinary artwork of the Disney studio, this symposium will take a look at the not-so-hidden dark side of fairy tales. Many themes explored in this symposium are the focus of the re-enchantment documentary, and so in partnership, we decided it was the perfect time to explore the importance of fairy tales and to deeply scrutinise the layers of sophisticated meaning and its relevance to contemporary culture. We join this conversation as Sue Maslin introduces the interactive project Reenchantment. Not just through films and so on, but you know, this year, I mean, we, we really have you know the greatest all-time you know Cinderella princess fantasy playing out before us, you know, with Wills and um, Kate about to tie the knot. Um, but in terms of drilling down to the more specific audiences that we wanted uh, to engage with Reenchantment, then we really uh, were looking at a work that would be of interest to writers, to uh, artists, to filmmakers, to students of uh, literature and so on, who want to explore further or who currently already regularly work with you know, the motifs and symbols that are embedded in fairy tales. Uh, Sarah is a practising Jungian uh, analyst and the work comes from a very deep uh, understanding and background in the sort of psychological uh, interpretations of fairy tales. So, of course, we uh, are really glad if it... Um, and it, it appears to be appealing to, to psychologists as well. That's important to us. Um, to teachers and to students, and many of you are here today, uh, so targeted at the higher end of secondary and also at tertiary level. And, in fact, ACME um, have assisted us with in this regard and there will be a session tomorrow that's specifically in the afternoon set up for, for teachers to see um, at, you know, how to work with this site. So we do, we do hope that it is a valuable educational resource. Um, and to that end, 
everything that you see, uh, and reenchantment works on many levels, is also supported by uh, HTTP text, so cut and pasteable text, bibliography, sources, and so on, that um, can also be used uh, as, you know, as an educational resource. And we'll show you how that works shortly. So how does something like this come about? Well, like all you know, great ideas, it, it comes about through a conversation. And you know, this is something that Sarah has been thinking about uh, for many years and had an interest in both as a filmmaker and as a psychologist. And we just got talking um, you know, a few years back and I asked Sarah what, what it was that she was um, planning on doing next and she was talking about this idea of maybe making a documentary about the uh, meanings of fairy tales. And, um, you know, I just sort of said, oh, look, you know, had you thought about doing it as a, an interactive documentary, something online? And I think at the time, you know, Sarah sort of said, well, you know, what's that? <laughs> and we um, just started this conversation. We brought a few people in, including Catherine Gleeson and Megan Haywood, to just sort of tease out how you could take a documentary out of the linear video or film form and put it into this world online and stay true to the intent of documentary which is exploration to content and theme in some depth because of course a lot of what we experience on websites is very superficial and often geared to sort of people who just want to skim on the surface well believe me that (laughs) this ain't that kind of site Um, you can play with it um, and it's very colorful and playful on the surface but you can go into it as deeply as you choose and it would take you hours hours to possibly sort um, search through this interactive forest so it did seem to us after you know we talked a bit about it that the non-linear approach was the perfect approach for a work that is about a multiplicity of interpretations and not privileging one interpretation over another but engaging in the um, the you know incredible dialogue and um, it like it's just to engage in that multiplicity that we are immersed in ourselves and for having a work that can um, acknowledge and work with that and use that as a a strength. Um, We couldn't possibly have known, though, when we started this project about four years ago that we would quite go into the woods (laughs) um, quite so much as as we did. And we're feeling like we're emerging um, now after all of those years uh, because the the work grew, it, it became very big, and it led us down many paths. And we're just delighted to ha- be able to incorporate, you know, hundreds, literally hundreds of what we um, of artworks, of photographs, of clips, of sound uh, files, and so on in this work. And uh, the artists, and the writers, and the cultural commentators, and the people who have been involved. We, we just, you know, can't thank you enough for for being part of, of this work. Um, it just—it's just something that just wouldn't have been possible with a linear documentary to to um, to be able to engage with these interpretations at, at this level. So it is wonderful to welcome you all here today to Reenchantment, and we really do hope that you'll become part of our online community um, after the, the, these next two days. And um, I, you know, I would hope it's it's great that it is here at um, Acme, and it sort of coincides, you know, with the um, the Disney 
exhibition because in many ways it can be interpreted, reenchantment and the fairy tales reimagined symposium can be regarded, I suppose, as a, um, you know, as a counter-narrative or an alternative narrative to the kind of ones that have been emerging from the, uh, the Disneyfication, for want of a better word, of the classic fairy tales. So, it, you know, it really does, this project really does directly challenge, I hope, and this is what you'll find over the next two days, many of our long-term held ideas about fairy tales. So just before I hand over to Sarah, I would like to thank our investors, uh, Screen Australia, Film Victoria, University of Technology in Sydney and the ABC, uh, who really did support this ambitious work from the outset and have stayed with us on that um, this journey over the last four years or so. But it couldn't have been possible without our amazing uh, creative collaborators and our crew, you know, fantastic um, team. Uh, you'll get to meet Rose Draper tomorrow morning, uh, who was our lead designer, so she's responsible for you know the beautiful images, um, largely responsible, and the team that pulled together the design. And, um, and I would like to thank uh, especially Penny Chai, who was our amazing researcher and uh, cleared you know over a thousand rights for over a thousand different uh, works that appear in this work and you know was our amazing you know production assistant and my assistant for the last uh, four years so thank you Penny for that but most of all my thanks to the amazing Sarah Gibson and uh, who is the visionary behind this this whole work and is the reason that we're we're all um, here so before Sarah comes up um, I'm going to play one of the three minute interstitials which is one way that a lot of audiences um, and television audiences in particular will have their first experience with, um, with re-enchantment. So I'll play that. Take a few moments to discover the world of re-enchantment where fairy tales are not just for children. Fairy tales capture our imagination with their mysterious narratives and evocative imagery. Why is it that so many fairy tales take us into the forest? I guess it's leaving that safety of the, of the known, of the civilised world and entering into the unknown natural world, the wild world, where different laws operate and that they're not the laws of, of society. The forest has its own sort of magic. Things could disappear from the forest. And, and, and in the stories, it was, it was houses or cottages. Next time you go there, it's, it's gone. It's just disappeared. In the woods, trees are not what they seem. I mean, in a fairy tale, a tree can do anything. It can reach down and entwine around you. It can lower its branches so the fruit comes to your mouth. It can trip you up. It can be in a doorway to the underground, to the fairy world, anything. The fairy tale forest is a dangerous place where we encounter witches, beasts and magical creatures who test our courage and our wits. Our time in the forest can be one of transformation or destruction.
A forest is a place where you can't see what's ahead, clearly. It's a place where the wild has retreated to. It's the place beyond the human pale. So it's naturally the place where um, you'll meet the unknown. And a forest is a great place to get lost. Stories about being lost in the forest remind us of times when we are emotionally overwhelmed by fears and anxieties. Perhaps in our outer world of satellites and GPS, we are losing the capacity to be lost. If we can't be lost in the forest, we can't make discoveries. Explore the hidden meanings of fairy tales. Visit abc.net.au slash reenchantment. So if you were to take up that uh, invitation to go online, this is what you'd find. Um, and if you press enter, you come through to the reenchantment gates. And uh, here you can enter the forest space. Now, fairy tales have always fascinated me at the same time as being completely mysterious. As a child and as an adult and as an analyst, I'm not sure that I ever understood really why brothers turned into swans and why caged birds turned into princes. And it's these dangers that lurk in the woods that were of interest to me. And I wanted to, in this project, honour the long history of fairy tales as stories for adults because these stories are being told for thousands of years, as we know, before they ever became children's literature. And I'm particularly interested in the deep resonance of fairy tales in the human psyche. In fairy tales, children are abandoned by their parents, mothers in prison and plan to eat their children, and fathers have incestuous relationships with their daughters. But tales also tell of the ensnaring witch who is defeated, the murderous husband who's killed, the spell of enchantment that's broken, and the transformation that's possible. Fairy tales are also cultural snapshots that tell us of the time and location of their telling, but they can also open out wider cultural questions. For us today, and for the purpose of the symposium, is to tackle some of those questions, like why are we caught up in the princess fantasy? Why do we project greed and overconsumption onto children? Why is cosmetic surgery on the foot on the rise? Why are older women demonised? Why is death our nighttime entertainment? So fairy tales are rich, multi-layered stories for us as adults, and they do open up an amazing territory. So once you're in this reenchantment forest, you are invited to make discoveries. Now, each time you visit the site, I imagine you'll find different things, and depending upon which story you choose to enter. So there are gateways to six story spaces, Bluebeard, Snow White, Hansel and Gretel, Cinderella, Rapunzel and Red Riding Hood. And each challenges us to think about these well-known stories in not so, their not-so-well-known meaning. So let's go into Red Riding Hood. So fairy tales we know shapeshift over time and uh, through continents and cultures. And re-enchantment isn't about retelling the stories. But within each story space, there is a book 
that you'll find that does contain versions of the stories. Now, it might be lying on a garden seat, lying in the snow saying, read me. It could be disguised as a theatre program, but there'll always be a book. And in the book, um, you can see some of the traditional versions that are probably familiar to you. There's some illustrations, possibly information about that particular story. Um, and there are also less well-known stories. So in the case of Red Riding Hood, that would be the oral story, which is the one that really has inspired so many artists and uh, writers like Angela Carter to rethink uh, the fairy tale. And also we can play the audio. We can have the sense of these stories being told to us. The Grandmother's Tale A woman had finished her baking, so she asked her daughter to take a fresh galette and a pot of cream to her grandmother, who lived in a forest cottage. The girl set off, and on her way she met a bzoo. We'll leave you to uh, hear those stories in your own time. Um, one of the things that reenchantment does is enter into the motifs and symbols of fairy tales. And what would Red Riding Hood be without the wolf? <coughs> For those hearing the story in Europe, the threat of wolves was real. They had lived through witch hunts and believed in werewolves, men who became wolves at night. I think it's been demonised to a large extent, but it wasn't considered evil per se until Christianity. And I think it was the alignment, the specific alignment of the wolf with... And um, the devil. Th these are um, some of the themes that I think that will come out in the Red Riding Hood session, which is our next session. Um, if you um, continue into uh, deeper into the sort of like layers, and if you were to go into another layer of Grandma's bedroom, you'll find a whole lot of interactive elements which are taking up. Um, various aspects of the stories and I'm particularly interested in the way that contemporary culture revisions these stories so um, we include that material in the side no drip goodies to grandma yes mother and look out for the wolf fairy tales are a rich source of inspiration for advertisers Red Riding Hood is no exception Red is the colour of spirit, vitality, dynamic emotion, arousal and desire. It also symbolises aggression, energy and blood. A red cape and hood instantly bring us to Red Riding Hood and all the meanings of the story. It is constantly being reworked. Tales have often been criticised for being um, Eurocentric, moralistic, misogynist, and we try and take up some issues with that. But um, oh, can we go back for a sec? Um, but in my view, um, there are interesting points from all those perspectives. But one of the important things is that there's not one single interpretation of a fairy tale, and I think you start to get the idea of the way that we're working. 
Um, so there's not one correct interpretation, but this is an example of uh, a classic interpretation of the... You are so delicious. I want to eat you all up. We find eating and being eaten erotic. We find eating and being eaten erotic. Um, and as Sue mentioned, we've got a whole lot of artwork from artists for which we're terribly appreciative. The project would not be rich without it. And um, they've allowed, the artworks themselves allow us to think about the other interpretations. Can be seen as a yeah. Inviting the young girl into bed is the familiar manipulation by an incestuous father or pedophile. It is not always the wolf's tricks that get Red Riding Hood into bed. She may be interested in exploring her newly discovered sexual feelings. Psychoanalysts argue that the story reveals a young girl's unconscious desire to replace her mother in her father's affections. Is the wolf dressed in grandmother's clothes both a mother-father figure and perhaps in some way erotic? The story can also be seen as not just about sex but an invitation to psychological change. Perhaps it is time for the good, well-behaved girl to move away from mother and take her own path of personal development. So there are two ways to navigate um, re-enchantment. You can just intuitively just click on things and uh, be surprised, or you have a menu system which um, tells you both all the stories that are there and also some of the themes that might be being explored in the story, and that's perhaps useful when you want to find your way back to somewhere. Um, but also some people, um, some people may prefer just an exploration and see what you find. So let's go to Bluebeard. So every different, each of the different six stories has a unique look and approach. So here we're in um, Bluebeard. And the Bluebeard story, we won't go into the stories at the moment, but the Bluebeard story is, of course, about the serial killer husband who gives the wife keys to all the rooms in the castle except one and forbids her to enter that room and of course she wants to and she finds the dead bodies of all the previous wives. Now this disappeared from children's stories um, in the 40s so, but it's certainly alive in contemporary culture. So we, you'd also find a clock in most of the story spaces and the clock is introducing you to the social history of the story. So um, if we were to go into the Bluebeard clock, we'd find out about historical serial killers at the time of the Bluebeard story. Um, we also have a, try and have a place to organise the interpretations of our artists if they're not being used in another way. And so in this instance, uh, it's a mirror. 
And if we go uh, to play a couple of these. She no sooner married him than she disappeared off the face of the earth. Do we have any means of identifying this man? We have a snapshot of him. But Lena threw it in the fireplace. But I'd know him if I ever saw him. So would I. But in his case, it's a wife in every port. What's his record? I don't know yet. Insurance? No, he's too smart for that. But not one of these women has shown up, and I doubt if they ever will. Murdered him, huh? That's just it. He's a bluebeard. Um, so, as well as filmmakers, um, there are photographers and artists. And this is Cindy Sherman, who uh, did photography work about the story Fitch's Bird, which is a variant of Bluebeard. Um, Marina Warner has suggested that the power of fairy tales lies in what she calls their double vision, referring to a psychological experience on the one hand and act- mapping actual lived experience on the other. And since earliest traces, fairy tales have talked about grown-up matters like marriage, uh, money, family relationships, cruelty, justice. And my challenge with reenchantment was to try and keep a multi-layered approach to interpretation that reflects this double vision. So in the case of Bluebeard, I was interested in creating a corridor of interpretation. Depending upon what key you choose, you enter a room, each room's got a different interpretation. So let's... Uh, enter the room of curiosity. Bluebeard has been interpreted as a warning to women that they will be punished for their curiosity. Some versions of the story are subtitled The Fatal Effects of Female Curiosity. But without curiosity, The danger of curiosity is best known in the story of Pandora, who opened the forbidden box or vase, in turn releasing all the evils of the world. But without curiosity, there is no insight. Bluebeard can also be seen as a story about sexual curiosity, a reworking of the Adam and Eve story. Um... If at any time you want to, um, well, no, we'll do that in a minute. Let's look at another room. Sorry, misogyny. In Bluebeard narratives, women rehearse the fear that they are introduced to as small girls. For feminists... Bluebeard is a story about violence against women. Today, the incidents of domestic violence, sexual assault and even murder of wives by their husbands remains extremely high. Bluebeard is another Jack the Ripper story of violence perpetrated on young women. Feminists have critiqued the way audiences gain pleasure from seeing a woman being menaced, sexually attacked, killed and dismembered on the screen. Now, some of those themes, of course, will be taken up in the um, afternoon session tomorrow. 
And also, if at any time you wanted to discuss ideas that you hear in the site, you can use the discuss button here in the menu, which will take you to a, a forum where you can contribute your own um, ideas. And currently there's a thread going about the Bluebeard story that someone's been brave enough to start. So um, we hope that this will become a very alive place for discussions of the interpretations. But going back to Bluebeard, uh, we have explored it from the viewpoint of the internet chat room, the story of infidelity, of arranged marriages, of women's courage in the face of domestic violence, a story about evil, about our fear of death, and psychologically about the forbidden room within ourselves. But let's look at the crime room. Bluebeard was one of the first serial killers. Why is popular culture so preoccupied Why does our sight with reworking? Do strange things sometimes? Bluebeard was one of the first serial killers. Why is popular culture so preoccupied with reworking these Bluebeard stories? Writers suggest these stories manage our terror. They bring order out of chaos. They reassure us that sudden death can be made sense of. Crime shows have become our way of dealing with death. The dismembered corpse fascinates, disgusts and excites us. By turning death into entertainment, are we anaesthetising ourselves from the reality of death? It is always happening to someone else. Um, there are layers of information within each site and it's possible for you to read that narration that you've just heard, to go back to it, but also to look at the sources about where some of these ideas are coming from. And um, um, you won't get it until the end. Uh, maybe we'll show Bluebeard you... was one of the no, first we'll show serial killers. Um, we'll show you that on a different um, place. Um, OK, so um, let's go into Cinderella. Now, Cinderella, um, I'm talking about this afternoon, but it was quite a challenge because there's so many versions. We're so, we think we know it so well. And so we decided with Cinderella to have a vaudeville approach. And uh, here you can um, get your ticket to the Cinderella stage show and um, choose various stage shows to see. So let's choose the first one. An early version of the Cinderella story emerged from China during the 10th century, a time when foot binding was accepted in aristocratic circles. The small foot was considered erotic and was described as a golden lily. The West has also sexualized the small foot. And, of course, there are playful elements uh, also within the site, particularly within Cinderella. So if you were tired of hearing ideas, you might like to come here and have a little bit of a, a play. Um, Sue's been practising her shooting. Um, the reward here, of course, um, is no slipper, but just a bit more domestic drudgery. Um, 
So there um, is uh, there are also sort of psychological ideas about Cinderella. So if we go to Cinderella's name and her clothes evoke cinders and ashes. Her mother has died and she is grieving. Covering herself with ashes was a traditional sign of mourning. But in the ashes, Cinderella also hides herself from others, and perhaps from herself. So I was interested in the psychological ideas um, behind the stories and how we might think about those, and I'll talk more about that in the Cinderella session after lunch. But if um, and I have created backstage what I call the if the shoe fits shoe closet where you can try out different interpretations of Cinderella from the point of view of, um, you, by choosing shoes, you could satisfy your shoe fetish, or you could also enter into the interpretations of Cinderella from the perspective of Cinderella, the stepsisters, the stepmother, or the stepfather. The stepsisters aren't necessarily ugly, except in their personalities. They envy Cinderella's goodness, they manage their feelings by spoiling attacks and cruel and mocking taunts. Underneath their envy is a feeling of emptiness. Envy unacknowledged poisons everything it touches. Envy is one of the things I'll talk about this afternoon. Um, so uh, part of this vaudeville space for Cinderella is, um, has a sideshow alley. And... Um, if we go to the sideshow alley, there's a Wheel of Fortune and also a kissing booth because we know what's involved in the Cinderella story. We, um, but the Wheel of Fortune is a bit of a random experience. The dream of being a princess is still strong for women and girls today. Is Cinderella keeping the princess fantasy alive? Common to all princess fantasies is the idea of transformation. Cinderella is an example of rags to riches, although it is truer to say riches to rags to riches. The fantasy is that everything could be different if only we were discovered, if we won the lottery, if only we had a makeover. Modern Cinderellas are very conscious that they can't sit back and wait to be saved. They must make their own destiny. And these are ideas that Meredith will be talking about in the Cinderella session. Um, in the kissing booth, um, well, how can we go beyond happily ever after? Cinderella's slipper has come to symbolise the search for romantic love, for the perfect fit, for emotional and sexual compatibility in a relationship. So there's plenty to explore there in Cinderella. Um, but let's now just take a quick squeeze at Rapunzel. So it's not possible for us to show you everything, but we're just giving you a little taste, hopefully whetting your appetite to go in and have a proper look.
So each level represents a way of exploring the content or the ideas. So if we went into the roots, we'd find the section that holds um, information about the history of the story, the meaning of Rapunzel's name, and um, ver- we could find the versions. The sundial will function like a clock. So um, let's just uh, maybe... Rapunzel's name comes from the savoury plant, Rampion, that grows in the witch's vegetable garden, Rampanzolo in Italian. It is a turnip-like plant with a unique characteristic. Its stem splits into two halves that curl like braids of hair, allowing it to self-fertilise, bringing the female part of the plant in contact with the male part. In other versions of the story, the stolen plant is parsley or jujubes. Okay, but while this is up, we'll just look at the slide on the left uh, where I mentioned you can find the commentary. You can also find um, uh, information about where the ideas are coming from if you wanted to uh, follow up that for research. But also, if you wanted to go on the menu, sometimes there are documentary interviews, uh, not in this particular one, but you can find uh, people talking about the subject. But also if you go to the menu, you can find um, a source section which has detailed bibliographies, general things about fairy tales, psychological interpretation, then particular stories. So that's as up-to-date as I could make it at the time of making, but hopefully the forum will become a place where we can put new information and resources and share knowledge about fairy tale research. So you can go as... um, as detailed as you want to or touch as lightly as you want to. So let's then um, go back to Rapunzel and go maybe to... um, Yeah. So that was a little diversion to show you the layers of content. Here we're back in the tower and we've um, selected the blow-dry level and um, each... um, way gives you an opportunity to explore some of the meanings and interpretations of hair which um, is something that Meredith and Suzanne will be talking about tomorrow Um, so it was believed that witches raised storms summoned demons and caused destruction by unbinding their hair before they were burnt at the stake witches had their hair cut off because it was thought that some of their power resided in their wild hair And if we go to the, another um, la- layer of um, the hair extensions, uh, we've been able to weave in the uh, work of artists working with hair in this Hair section. has always been an important element for visual artists. They may work with the symbolic meaning of hair or reinterpret elements of the Rapunzel story. For some installation and performance artists, Rapunzel's plait has been an important element in their design and collaborative process. So we can find artwork in all the different um, story spaces, but if we wanted to concentrate more on the artist's work, we can enter the gallery space of re-enchantment. 
And the gallery space has uh, two main areas. One where we are hosting exhibitions of work that is in the um, already in re-enchantment and we will put up various exhibitions as we go. And um, this is the Woman and Wolf exhibition. Some images you've seen and some are contained in other sections of the Red Riding Hood site. And um, it's a good way of um, focusing uh, our attention on those artworks and an opportunity to really think about them and find out more about the artist. Um, but also... Um, we're very, um, Sue's now in the, uh, you in at, um, the, heroine. the heroine reimagined and at various points I hope to put the call out for artist work but also there is a section in the gallery where, which is to me the most exciting thing um, but it requires everybody to participate and that's um, that you can press a create button and you can um, log in to um, the ABC communities. I'll just do a login. It's pretty straightforward. Um, so a simple login process, and then you're back to reenchantment, and you're back to the create button. And it's a very simple process of just adding your sound file, video file, um, your JPEG of your artwork whatever you might like to do. If you've got a text document, you might be better uploading through the forum. And it hasn't been possible in re-enchantment to, because the work's been so huge, to include the work of our creative writers, but I'm hoping that um, people will be able to provide either uh, text files or uh, links to their own work and use the forum to establish links to the community of writers, which I know is very strong. So that would have been a whole other project in itself. So once you have uploaded, your work will appear in either, a, if you're uploading about a particular story, your work will appear in that gallery, or you might be interested in a story like The Handless Maiden that hasn't had attention yet. So you could put your work up about the Handless Maiden story in the general gallery. And my dream is that when there's enough work around particular stories that we can open up new galleries and we can open up project rooms to bring together work around particular stories. And unfortunately, we weren't able to do Beauty and the Beast, but I believe that's kind of one of the stories uh, which is very strong at the moment. And I know the film Beastly is coming out and I think some of the themes of the animal are there in the Red Riding Hood story and the interest in that, um, which we will talk about after the break. But, um, yeah, it, it's um, it, to me it's a fantastic opportunity for the project to, to grow. I mean... I don't, all the interpretations of fairy tales don't reside in me, they don't reside in all those references, they reside in your own resonance with particular stories and your, the way in which stories have touched your lives um, and have been meaningful to you. So I hope that the site is really, uh, really does build a community around fairy tales. So after uh, these two days, hopefully you've got a lot to say and a lot to dig out of those computer files and drawers and various other places to sort of start to add them to the um, to the material that we have. Um, and just to um, f 
finish off, I mean, I know that I, I just mentioned Beauty and the Beast and the best we could do was include it in one of our ten short uh, animations. And you can find them, if you miss them on television, then you can find them on the site as well. So there's an opportunity if you don't see them out in the big screen outside. So um, this is, um, beast- we'll leave you with um, Beastly Husbands, but we'd like to have some discussion afterwards. Take a few moments to discover the world of re-enchantment, where fairy tales are not just for children. Fairy tales from around the world tell of a young woman who is married to a beast. The best known are Beauty and the Beast, The Frog King and Bluebeard. Why have these stories remained so popular? They speak to a young woman's fear of being married off to a stranger who may turn out to be a monster. In Bluebeard, the husband turns out to be a serial killer, a plot very popular with crime writers and with Hollywood films, where someone's trying to kill me and I think it's my husband. She no sooner married him than she disappeared off the face of the earth. Do we have any means of identifying In real life, the fact that most murders are domestically related uh, says something about the fact that this kind of bluebeard myth has its grounding in reality and probably always has had. too smart for that. But not one of these women has shown up and I doubt if they ever will. Murdered him, huh? That's just it. He's a bluebeard. Can the beast husband be transformed by a woman's love? The beast awakens horror and desire. It's also very prevalent in, say, the Mills and Boone romance. If you read carefully the descriptions of the hero, he's a beast. He's described as a wolf, often with, you know, a predatory look and a hawk-like expression. And he's sort of a very Heathcliffian um, hero who, whose appeal is, in fact, to do with the fact he's a beast. He's a human beast. These narratives are trying to reform a bond with the animal, which I think has been broken, which was always there in the fairy story. And maybe we're going to get more of this in the cinema, which really is a sort of modern form of fairy tale, where the monster is becoming more and more sympathetic, particularly the beast monster. No, you're not. Who is transformed by this love between beast and heroine? Explore the hidden meanings of fairy tales. Visit abc.net.au slash reenchantment. Yes. Uh, there's a microphone just coming over here. Sorry about that, but it'll help people up the back to here. Will this website be on the web forever? Oh, wouldn't that be great? Um, will there be a web forever? I, <laughs> I mean, we committed to it for a long time. 
So uh, I want it to, I mean, stay as a resource for as long as it possibly can. So I could say for the next 10 years, uh, I'm in there, are you? I was wondering about disability access to the site. Is it uh, are there sort of read, screen readers available that can work with the commentary? All, all the commentary um, is in that little side box where um, there was a menu that came out to the side. All throughout that, the uh, verbal commentary is also in text form. So yes, um, all that commentary can be read. Uh, the ABC uh, will be doing closed caption versions of their um, the little three-minute television distitials as they, they would normally do with their television programming. So, yes, that's also um, covered for the television side of things as well. Uh, thanks very much for, for sharing the extraordinary work. Um, I was wondering if you could just speak briefly about the tension, perhaps, between the traditionally communal um, act of telling or sharing fairy tales and the sort of private act of accessing something online and your approach to that and, your, and, and how you went about sort of... Um, in, in many ways, you've already covered it, but if you could just speak briefly on that, perhaps? I was aware, I think, that it was an individual experience of the, um, the way of entering the site and maybe, to me, that's a little bit like having the story read to you and you're in that world of imagination that a story allows you to particularly be in. Um, and it's certainly true when I was writing the narration to think of it as something that an individual's hearing rather than a group. It's a very bizarre thing to show the site to a whole lot of people because it is an individual. But to me, it can't replace the power of storytelling, the power of uh, sitting by the fire, uh, hearing the story at the wedding... Um, it can't replace that sort of storytelling function in a, in a group setting. Um, but I think that also we, we're de being delivered these stories in so many different ways. You know, like if we're, if we're receiving fairy tales as ads and we're receiving them as feature films, like we, we are in a culture where they're coming at us from all sorts of angles. So what I hope that the site might do is just allow people the opportunity to think about something. And to me, documentaries like this, the real value is being able to communicate the ideas and give people questions. So um, I don't think when, you know, if we were delivering it in another way, in a linear way, it wouldn't be possible to have the multi-layered, multi-dimensional aspect of interpretation. So I know that's not quite answering your question, but that's one of the things that interested me, that there is something that's allowed by this delivery that isn't in another way. Um, and I think, it, I think being challenged to think about things from many angles is, is quite difficult to um, engender, but I think, I think to a certain extent we've been successful with that. I think the other answer to the question is just uh, over the you know the four years or so that the project has developed is where the idea of community resides. So four years ago, there wasn't the Facebook phenomenon that there is now. Um, so in fact, what we've found is that in addition to the community that we'll build um, around the site itself, uh, over the last two months, we've already 
started developing and actually now have a very active community um, through Facebook and, and Twitter. And these you know, communities are sort of coming t together and people are working across a multitude of platforms, as we all do. I mean, we're all audiences. We're constantly engaging with ideas across screens and this is a work that hopes to, you know, to um, offer slightly different insights across each one of those um, platforms. Um, I just want to ask, uh, within your work, have you found that uh, nursery rhymes have also fallen into the same genre as fairy tales or do you consider them separate? Where, who am I? Where am uh, I just talking? up there to the right. Oh, okay. And um, I don't consider fairy... I don't consider nursery rhymes fairy tales, so I'm being very quite strict in my um, definition of uh, what a fairy tale is. So I haven't included nursery rhymes, I haven't included moral tales or folk tales or um, um, parables or, you know, like there's a whole genre of stories that I've uh, ruled out. And really I picked those six because they definitely fall into different story types and they have certain resonance across history and many versions. So, I mean, I, thi I think the nursery rhymes are rich but out of scope for, for this project. Yeah, and I guess my question follows on from that um, pretty closely in the sense that I was um, intrigued to wonder about um, the origins of the fairy tales themselves, right, this moment of origin, and earlier oral narrative traditions like the sagas, for example. And, and then just wondering within your research and your reading why you see this particular form emerging at whatever moment that it particularly emerges at. You know, what's, what's the break or what's the continuity from those earlier narrative forms? I mean, I think there are resonances and fragments of the mythic tales within the stories. And say so certainly in Bluebeard we see the story, of, uh, as you saw in the section we showed in Curiosity, you see the Pandora story, you see the Adam and Eve story. But I think our familiarity with fairy tales for, for those of us here is obviously from the time they became the tradition of children's literature. So we're talking about the 1800s in which time the fairy tales are being popularised in written form. But in terms of um, oral tradition, the folklorists have been going to try and track the origins of the story. And I guess when I went into that, what I find is that there's no one origin. You know, it's interesting to me that, uh, you know, you can have a story popping up in um, several cultures, several that seemingly have no apparent link to each other. So why now is a different question again, I think, like this question that perhaps is, is a subject for all of us over these two days is why fairy tales now? I have my own sort of sense that we are, we've had enough of reality. We are absolutely desperate for things which nurture the imagination and which take us into other places. Science has tried to, to lighten up the room so that we see in every corner and we are not satisfied with that. We have a deep desire to kind of know at a whole lot of levels within ourselves and I think fairy tales are satisfying narratives. Now the why is the question of re-enchantment really. Like why have we continued to be fascinated? But the power of the stories are, are there. Um, 
So, you know, I think it is a very interesting question that I think that there's so much on the rise now. And I don't think it is just that Disney's versions were so saccharine and sentimental. I think there's something in the culture where we, our desire for story that has a complexity to it and a, uh, speaks to unconscious threads in our culture, we're, we're starving for. We've and got just time for, sorry, two more questions. We've got yours and then one more here. Okay. Um, I'm extremely excited. Sorry, down in the back here. Oh, up the back. Um, I'm extremely excited by this sort of act of transmedia storytelling, and um, the platforms that you've used are brilliant in terms of accessing like oral as well as visual literacy. I was wondering, are you looking at uh, shifting it outside of sort of radio, television, and internet to other media platforms, like for example, graphic novels or collections of stories and that sort of thing? We're in discussion at the moment um, with two publishers about um, the uh, idea of doing a picture book for adults um, around these themes and the fairy tales. <clears throat> We're also um, aiming to have the interstitials um, as apps, that uh, you know, three-minute apps that will um, appear on your mobile phone. So the, um, the ABC is in the process of setting that up as well. Uh, so they're, they're the kind of two main uh, add-ons at the moment. But as the technology changes then, you know, of course, we'll be, we'll be um, looking at platforms within, within our capacity to, to do this. Yeah. I mean, I think that the um, publishing of collections of tales, you would have, those of you who've been following that would see that, that we've got more and more of them. So I think the publishing of versions of the stories is going quite well. Um, what's perhaps um, the gap there is people being having access to interpretation. Hi, um, I just have a question about um, the sources. Um, just with um, the bibliography, are there also ones associated with, say, Beauty and the Beast, even though that's not included in the six worlds that, um, yeah, that have yeah, what you've shown us? Uh, unfortunately not, but under the general and the psychological, you would find any works that referred to Beauty and the Beast would be there in those bibliographies. But I haven't wanted to kind of confuse the matter in a way. Um, and so it hasn't been possible to pull those out. Um, and, yeah, so it's a bit of hunting for them, but the resources of everything that's published on... Uh, well, there are leads in there to the works on Beauty and the Beast, definitely. So thank you for joining us in this introduction to Reenchantment and I hope it sets the um, pace for an amazing two days to follow. Thank you very much for thank coming. Thank you very much. Coach.